Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Reading in 1 John chapter 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard what we, have, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Thank you, Jessica. So it turns out that you can take a leadership class in high school. I mean, I can't. Um, I think it's because I'm 38 years old. I don't meet the age requirements for taking high school classes. But if you're in high school, you can be a part of a leadership team, and it counts as one of your classes. You may be wondering how I know this. I'll tell you how I know this. Um, This week, I got to spend a few days at a leadership retreat with some students from Glencoe High School. Um, they went away for a retreat to build relationships, hear about expectations, and plan for the school year, specifically homecoming. And the leadership teacher explained homecoming and why we do it and what it is, and I still don't think we have a good reason for doing it, but that's okay. That decision wasn't up to me. I was just there as a male chaperone. It was a great opportunity to be a caring adult, hanging around a bunch of high schoolers who might not have any interest in ever hanging out inside of a church. And I think that every student uh, deserves to have caring adults in their lives. So it was a really cool opportunity. The retreat was at Canby Grove, um, which is there. It's lovely. It was actually a Christian Missionary Alliance campground um, until 10, 15 years ago. It's a great place. In the 1930s, A.W. Tozer spoke in this big red building, which is now called the Tozer Tabernacle there. Um, So it's really cool to be around that history of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And as much as I enjoyed my time with these leadership students from Glencoe, Roll Tide, um, it was different to be at a Christian campground with a bunch of teenagers and not spend any time like worshiping Jesus or hearing about Jesus. Now, I didn't go to this retreat expecting to worship together or or hear preaching. I did take plenty of chances on my own to pray for the teachers and the students that were there. But the time that I was most like, this feels kind of weird, was Tuesday night. 
when we were sitting around the campfire in that lovely big fire pit there. You might think to yourself, Wayne, there's not enough places for 45 students to put their butts there. You're right. We made it work. But we sat around the campfire, and, and if I'm going on a youth retreat from the church, when we sit around the campfire, we're probably going to sing songs about Jesus and to Jesus. But that night, the, finish, the students had finished up their discussion in their cabins. I had uh, made fire from nothing except for paper and matches and kindling and Okay, it's not that manly. I had all the stuff I needed. But I had, I, I asked the teacher, I was like, hey, did you, get, did you bring anything to roast marshmallows on? She said no. So then I spent 20 minutes helping myself to pieces of tree that would work for roasting marshmallows. But then the students gathered around, and, and it was time to sing some songs around the old campfire. That night we sang a song about a phoenix rising from the fire, we sang Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis, and we sang Sweet Caroline, among other songs. That was weird to me, because like, if you're at a Christian campground, gathering around a fire, you should sing songs to Jesus. So as I stood there with a bag of white cheddar popcorn in my hand, very dangerous because I can't stop eating that stuff, I thought to myself, these people need Jesus. But then I quickly remembered how much I, too, need Jesus. If you're following along on the message handout, which I hope you are, the first blanks there, you don't need Jesus more than I need Jesus. We all need, you guys know the answer? I mean, I know it's there now, but you, you guys knew that before, I bet you, because you're pretty smart. We all need Jesus. It's so easy to, to see sometimes how much other people need Jesus and forget how much I need Jesus. My name is Wayne. I've got a last name too, but I can't pronounce it. And I have the... It's true. Have you seen it? It's ridiculous. I have the privilege of being the associate pastor of youth and family here at Alliance Bible Church. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on this lovely summer-ish weekend. Uh, sometimes I can see someone else's life and think, you need Jesus. But I know that I need Jesus just as much, and I need to be willing to admit that. The title of our talk today is Admit It. A man who loves his wife and just became a dad and feels overwhelmed with the responsibility of raising a child is the kind of person who needs to be able to admit their need for Jesus. A teenager who doesn't feel like they fit in with any crowd and feels like they're not quite good enough at anything that they do is the kind of person who needs to admit that they need Jesus. A person who is hypothetically part of a church family that is walking through a time of transition and things are kind of hard and difficult to walk through. That's the kind of person who needs to be able to admit that they need Jesus. Um, at some time or another in life, all three of those people have been me. So maybe I'm just preaching to me today, but maybe God will speak to you as well. Because I would argue that no matter where you are, in your life, in your journey of faith, you need Jesus. If you have your Bible, we're hopefully already in 1 John chapter 1, and that's where we're going to hang out for our time together today. Most scholars agree that the letter of 1 John was written by John, the son of Zebedee, who was a disciple of Jesus, one of the inner three. There are a couple of possible dates that people estimate the letter was written. One was in like 65 AD, another in 85 or 90 AD. Um, I like the later one, just some of the writings feels very fatherly. John writing at the end of his life on earth. 
And many believe that it was written to a group because of a group that was separating from the church and teaching things that didn't line up with Scripture. Um, some of the Gnostics, and one of the teachings was that Jesus wasn't actually fully God from the beginning, but that he was born a man, and then the, at his baptism, the spirit of the Messiah came upon him, and then that spirit left before he was crucified because God couldn't be a man. And, and John wrote to defend against these heresies. John wanted the churches to know what they believed and to be assured of eternal life with God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. John is trying to increase their adherence to the traditional truths of the community. So if you're just checking out this following Jesus thing this morning, you might hear some things that are new, and we're glad that you're here. And if you have questions about anything we talk about, you're welcome to come talk to me or Pastor Steve, and we'd love to talk with you. But if you've been following, with, following Jesus for a while, you probably won't hear anything new this morning. But my hope is that we would feel a deeper call to live a life with Christ. John's writing is intended to increase the audience's adherence to just and honorable values they already hold. It is primarily an appeal to the faithful to strengthen their faith and resolve. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, like every 10 minutes, I could use some strengthening in my faith and resolve. In verses 1 through 3, John lets us know that he is among those who had heard, seen, and touched the one who is eternal. Your next blanks there, John was with Jesus on earth. This letter is from a man who walked with Jesus while he was alive, who ate meals with Jesus, who served with Jesus, who saw the miracles, saw the risen Lord after the crucifixion and resurrection. John's statements in these opening verses testify to the claim that Christ was totally God and totally man. Christ existed from eternity and as God and man died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He was God living as a man and giving up his life so that we could have a relationship with him. The word that was from the beginning echoes both Genesis 1-1 and John 1-1. God's purpose in his son has an eternal dimension. John wrote as an eyewitness, Christ was not just a spiritual vision, but an actual human being. He is the word made flesh, says that in John 1.14, who gives eternal life to all who believe in him. John proclaims this to the people so that they might have fellowship with them and reminds them that their fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Now, fellowship is kind of a churchy word, so we'll take a minute and we'll talk about what it means. According to the Google, the English word means friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. So if we just look at that, then John is saying that he's writing this letter so that we can have friendly association with each other and with God through Jesus. The Greek word here is koinonia, which is super fun to say. I think we should start saying that word because there's no chance that we would say that and not explain it. But like we say fellowship and we assume everybody knows what it means. But if we just use the Greek word, then we'll know we have to explain it. Koinonia in 1 John 3 verses 6 and 7 appears to denote a personal relationship with the author and or with God. And in verse, verse 3 in particular, include the idea of commitment to a common task, that of the proclamation of the word of life. We are to partner together with God to proclaim the word of life 
Sometimes, as one who's followed Christ for a long time, I breeze right past the fact that God desires a personal relationship with me. With us, the, the creator and sustainer of life wants to have an actual personal relationship with me. I think that's a bigger deal than I slow down and remember most times. In verse 4, John gives us one of the reasons for the writing of the letter, so that your joy may be complete. Joy is not something that we manufacture for ourselves. Joy is a wonderful byproduct of our fellowship with God. And I could camp here for a while. I mean, not like literally with a tent. I could just talk about it more. But I'm not going to. But if joy is something that you feel like is missing in your life, I would encourage, maybe even challenge you, to write down that sentence. It's not in your fill in the blanks, so it's, it's above and beyond. But write down that sentence. Joy is not something that we manufacture for ourselves. Joy is a wonderful byproduct of our fellowship with God. If you need me to tell you that later, I can, if you want to write it down. And if you feel like joy isn't something you're experiencing a lot of, think about that sentence this week and spend time in scriptures reading about joy and where it comes from and why it is. Let's move on. We'll read verses 5 through 7. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. From all sin. By saying that God is light, John men means that God is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, and absolutely pure. This verse mentions truth, and God's truth is the truth. Whether we like the implications of that or not, it is truth. I think our culture tries to redefine truth, and I think that you can't really do that if you think the word truth means what it actually means. We don't decide what is true. But we are called to practice the truth, to walk in the truth. The truth of God is something that we live out day by day. Your next blanks there are, we need Jesus. Do you guys know it? I feel like, oh, it's there. Now you know it. We need Jesus every day. A couple of weeks ago, Annabelle and I uh, had finished having lunch at my favorite cheap pizza place, which is Domino's. Um, it's better than it used to be, and it's super cheap. And, and as we were driving home, I was going to drop her off and head back to work. We decided we would stop at Miss Kathy's house to say hello. And, and so we did, and we parked. And that's when the first time my passenger side door wouldn't open. So we rolled down the window, and she climbed out. And I'm just going to drive my car until I can't anymore, and it's, it's getting closer. <laughs> but we stopped at Miss Kathy's, and I knocked on the door, and, and Miss Kathy answered. And um, when she answered, I was like, hey, we're just going around the neighborhood and, and letting people know that they need Jesus. And you know what her response was? Every day. Every day I do. It was a lovely response. It was a quick response. Miss Kathy, if you know her, she, she's not here this morning, but she's a wonderful lady. She's been following Jesus for a few years. And I love that her quick response was acknowledging that she needs Jesus every day. Every day, more and more, we need Jesus. Verse, says, verse 7 says that if we are living in light, we have fellowship with each other. 
So there was no real fellowship with God, which is not expressed in fellowship with other believers. Sometimes you want to just hang out with Jesus and not his church, because as you might know, his church is made up of people. And sometimes people are people. You, you've all dealt with people. But this says that if we're living in light, if we're, if we're living in the truth, then that leads to fellowship with each other, with our church family, with a community of believers. That's how we are called to walk this journey. And the lesson that may be learned from the second consequence in these verses is that walking in the light does not mean that those who do so never sin, but they do not seek to hide the fact, that fact from God. Verses 8 and 9 say, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So according to the Google, confess means to admit or state that one has committed a crime or is at fault in some way. I think a working definition of sin for us this morning can just be where we fall short of God's standard, where we miss the mark. And it can be easy sometimes to see the sins and the faults in others and then to justify or just straight up ignore areas in our own lives where we fall short. At least for me, maybe not for you, but for me. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives us the example of removing the plank or the log from our own eye before helping someone else with their speck. We must be willing to look at our lives, see where we fall short of God's standard, and admit to him that we need his grace. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We have to be willing to look at ourselves, to know that we have a sinful nature and to know that we're not perfect and to admit where we fall short to God. Your next blanks there, if we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, then confession is not optional. From my reading of these scriptures, I don't come across and go, yeah, yeah, this says we can confess our sins if we'd like to. But this is something we're commanded to do. In order for us to walk day by day in fellowship with our God and with our fellow believers, we must confess our sins, sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of thought, sins of act, secret sins, and public sins. We must drag them out into the open before God, call them by their names, Take sides with God against them and forsake them. In James, it says that the one who knows what he should do and doesn't, it is sin. So there's, there's sins that we commit by actually doing things. There's sins that we commit by not doing things. There's sins that we commit in our minds and our thoughts. And there's sins that we commit with our actions. There's sins that we commit that nobody else in the world knows about. And there's sins that we commit that at least everybody in our household knows about. I've never yelled at my kids today. That's just because I leave the house at like 5.30 in the morning on Sundays. So I haven't seen them enough to. And confessing our sins does not mean a shallow reciting of the misdeeds. It means owning up to wrongdoing and bringing our lives in, into line with God's goodness and commands. God, from, God can forgive and cleanse us from terrible transgressions. 
I think sometimes for me, I, I don't pray prayers of confession as often as I think I should because I don't want to dwell on my sinfulness. I don't want to just sit there and stew in my failure, in my shortcomings, because that doesn't sound very much fun. I don't want to focus on the ways in which I failed. But in studying, I obviously don't believe that that is the right answer, which is why I'm grateful for the second half of verse 9, where it says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we were an amen shouting church, that would have been... We'll try that again. We'll see if we can... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You guys, yeah, you guys are good. You guys are real good at that. The Lord is just, righteous, because Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. We don't just let off the hook for our sins, but the price has been paid. And he is faithful. Always has been, always will be. Your next place, God is always faithful. God is always faithful. He's not like most of the time faithful, faithful, like the train that runs past our house at 10 o'clock most nights. Uh, it's okay, 10 o'clock is my bedtime, so it doesn't usually bother us. We just know if, if I hear it, I'm like, I should probably be at least getting ready for, if not in bed. But that train is mostly faithful, because sometimes on holidays or weekends it doesn't run. But God is all the time faithful. And I believe that God knows everything. So is he, he is never surprised when I confess my sins. I never go to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I treated Samuel like a jerk. He's like, oh, I didn't see that one. <laughs> God knew. So hiding things from God doesn't seem like an actually very good idea or very useful. Confession is admitting to God that I know that I've sinned, that I've fallen short knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. The author projects a situation in which people acknowledge their sins in an ongoing way. He portrays authentic Christian living as involving honest and ongoing acknowledgement of one's sins. The longer we walk with Jesus, the closer we get to him, and likely the less we sin. But until we're with him in eternity, we're at least a little bit human. I'm, I'm about 60% human. So we're going to deal with this sin. We, we don't get to a point where we go, you know what? I've been following Jesus for 30 years. I don't think I sin anymore. <laughs> People that John was writing to believed that. And that's why he had to say, verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. If his word is not in us, the saving message of Christ has not taken root. There may be surface knowledge of Christian religion, but the heart has not been transformed. Knowing about God is not the way to eternal life. We must be willing to admit our need for the price that Christ paid on the cross. Are you guys ready for your last blank? It's a good one. Like if I ever got on Twitter, I would tweet this. If we don't admit our sinfulness, we have no need for a savior. If we're unwilling to admit our sinfulness, that we have no need for a Savior, we're good enough on our own. But Romans 3, 23 and 24 tells us, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins.
I think when we're not in um, like really high liturgical churches, we don't talk about confession that much. Um, you know, personally for me, like, you know, we know the Catholics, they go to a priest to confess and, and, and Jesus is our high priest. So, so we don't think that's necessary. We confess straight to God. But I think sometimes when we see things overemphasized in other streams of Christianity, we tend to de-emphasize them in ours instead of having a healthy place in the middle where we talk about confession. Like I said, we don't need a priest to confess to. We have access to God through Christ Jesus. Um, in James chapter 5, it also talks about confessing one to another and praying for each other. And I don't think I'm forgiven because I confess to another human. But I do think there's wisdom and accountability that comes with confessing to another human and having them pray for you and walk through that with you. As we wrap up today, I'd like us to pray a prayer of confession together. And I'd encourage you to use this prayer as a starting point throughout the week to continue to pray prayers of confession. The prayer is on the back of your message handout. If you didn't get one, Mike is going to be kind. If you want one, uh, you can raise your hand and we'll hand you one. It's not going to be on the screen because I want us to be kind of focusing in on ourselves. So we won't have it on the screen. Does anybody else need one? Want one? You can also share with your neighbor if you like your neighbor. I need one. I almost forgot about me. So if you're able to and feel comfortable, I'd ask that we bow on our knees as we read this together. You don't have to. I'm not going to judge you if you don't, but, but if you're able to and you feel comfortable doing that. And for me, this helps me to remember the Lordship of Christ, that he is God and I am not. If you'd rather just sit in your seat, that's fine. Um, the posture in which we take for prayer is not a magic formula. God doesn't hear us better if we're on our knees. You're, you're farther away from the heavens, so if anything. <laughs> so if, if you're willing to, I'd have you bow in your seats, or you can just sit in your seats, and we'll read this prayer together as a confession from us to God. Holy and righteous God, we confess that, like Isaiah, we are a people of unclean lips. But it is not only unclean lips we possess. We are people with unclean hands and unclean hearts. We have broken your law times without number and are guilty of pride, unbelief, self-centeredness, and idolatry. Affect our hearts with the severity of our sin and the glory of your righteousness as we now acknowledge our sins in your holy presence. O oh God, we have sinned against your mercy times without number. We are ashamed to lift up our faces before you, for our iniquities have gone over our heads. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? How shall we answer you? We lay our hands on our mouths. We have no answer to your righteous wrath and just judgment. We have no answer, but God himself has mercifully provided one for us. This time I'll invite the worship team back up and we will close together in this song of response. Like I said, I would encourage you this week, whether you use this as a template, but just to think through confessing. As we confess, God is faithful and just to forgive us.
Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.